Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Stallone Podcast Network. Oh, I got to mute myself in the background, so I know it's working. One sec, guys. That's a good sign. There we go. Okay. As normal, it's uh, tip-top operation here. Well, yeah, I do apologize. So welcome to the Stallone Podcast Network. I am one of the three hosts of this Stallone Podcast Network. I run Going the Distance, the Rocky Series, and now Creed Podcast. My name is Doug Greenberg. Uh, I'm one of the hosts of Rocky Minute, where we break down the Rocky movies one minute at a time. People want to know, Doug, what's going mm-hmm. on with season three? Give us the update. Oh, man. <laughs> We're getting there, I swear. He, he caught whatever the slidecast has. Yeah. <laughs> We're suffering from the same illness. No new episoditis. I'm Craig from the slidecast. Once every leap year, we release a new episode. You can uh, next expect to hear Assassins as we travel year by year through Stallone's career. Between all three of our shows, you get like a complete look at the career of Stallone. I mean... You don't need the pop, Ryan. I mean, everybody loves your show. But um, <laughs> what, you're, <laughs> what you're doing with, you know, the Rocky series and now the Creed series is I don't think anybody else has ever done what you guys have done in terms of the microscopic look at a movie. There's plenty of Rocky five episodes out there on the Internet for people to listen to from a podcast. But there's not a whole season devoted to Rocky five. I think it's really cool what you're doing. I'm glad you decided to proceed and do um, do the Creed movies. Thank you for that. It's very kind of you. I'm excited, guys. This is our Night Hawks coverage. So we're going back to going live. That means we'll have three people watching this as we go live, but that's fine. People <laughs> people can jump in. They can laugh at us. It's generous uh, that you think we're going to have three people. Yeah, no kidding, eh? Well, we got seven now. That might be our record. Um, is it right now? There's seven people Yeah. Watching? That's crazy. Well, yeah, give it about two minutes. Actually, do me, you, and Craig count because I'm also watching. <laughs> Probably is uh, counting us as well. And I want to let people know who are subscribed to our channel, I'm sorry that we don't stream the movies. <laughs> people come onto our channel, they get so angry because we don't just stream the movies. It's a movie discussion site. They're very confused by the fact that people talk about movies in a podcast format. I don't know why that is, but they come on here in a different language and get very mad at us. I translate it, and some of the things they say to us is very unkind. Those reviews are just comedy gold, by the way. Two Idiots one was pretty good. I still think they were talking about Sharon Stone and uh, and (laughs) Sylvester Stallone. I don't know how you keep comments turned on. I mean, I have very limited content on my YouTube channel. I think I turned off the comments on this, the content that I really care about because um, I just don't have the – maybe for the comedic effect, I should turn them back on. Well, you, you should. You would get nothing but nice things. Slycast is like still the godfather of, of the Stallone podcast. Let's, let's roll into Nighthawks, guys. I'm actually very excited to talk about this film. This is the first time I've ever seen the film because I'm such a Stallone fanatic. I've seen – I would say 98% of all of his films, or whatever the number is, a, a large portion. But this is a film that came out when I was six years old. But And so when time kind of just kept going and going, and when I was a teenager, it was just this film that kind of always escaped my viewing. And just as time went on, I was like, I'm never going to get around to watching this thing. So I'm really grateful that we have this podcast in a weird way that it forced me to watch it. And I've seen many of the scenes. I've seen the tram scene. I've seen, of course, the, the big reveal at the end scene on YouTube or just when you're around movies, as long as you're just around movies, you see these sequences a lot. But I don't think I've ever seen the story laid out in whole. Uh, what about you, Doug? Yeah, first time. The only thing I've ever really known about this film is Stallone in a beard. 
He right. he had a, like a very big Serpico sort of look. <laughs> I think throughout the years, I kind of always confused the two because he looks so much like Serpico. I think it's a far different film than Serpico is. Right around the same time, 1970s feel, very heavy, heavy in the, the 70s vibe with the music, with the outfits and everything. The disco. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the first time I saw it and I was pleasantly surprised. But when we did this movie on the Slycast... It was when we were still doing that. We would do a couple of years and just lump them all together in one episode when we were planning to. But, you know, we, we would do like, you know, Stallone, 1980 to 1985, minus the Rocky and Rambo movies or whatever. Nighthawks was one of those episodes, I think, that got lumped in with like Victory and maybe one other movie. So we didn't really get to talk about the movie in detail. You know, we sort of did our compressed review of it. So I'm looking forward to this full coverage of it. In addition to the disco soundtrack, you also get almost the entire Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones, which Mm -hmm. has to be a rare occurrence. I mean, especially for that time, you weren't really – I don't think the Stones were a band that was probably easy to license for a movie. It played forever. So there's two theories. One, well, it's a great song. But two – they paid the rights for it. They're like, we paid $150,000 for this song. We're going to use every minute of it. <laughs> they used every minute. And the whole sequence, of course, was just of them looking in the bar for Wolfgar. Uh, that's uh, the two detectives played by, of course, uh, Stallone and uh, Billy D. And they're just looking around this club. It's like, how long can we drag looking for this guy in the club sequence? But yeah, it was a fun sequence. And it was a great, of course, it's a great song. The score, it's kind of a, a unique score. And I guess at the time, it was kind of gimmicky to bring in like a rock guy to do the music for your movie. But this score was done by Keith Emerson, which is kind of a big deal. Well, he was in Emerson, Lake and Palmer ELP, which was a big prog rock band in the 70s. You know, he had a multi-decade career in music. He took his life within the last two or three years, I yeah, believe. Yeah, 2016. Um, I did like it. It was like a rockin' soundtrack. It had funky bass Jazz mixture, rock. It was a mixture of everything. Then mix in with it was actual songs from a lot of they got they must have spent a lot of money on music rights because there were songs from everywhere. The one band was Rosington, Alan Rosington band or something like that from Leonard Skinner. Well, Gary Rosington was the guitar player, one of the guitar players for Leonard Skinner. So, I think he's the only one that's like still alive and playing with the band. Okay, like out of out of all their guitar players, the other two are dead. Skinner's keyboard player is dead. Rosington might be like the only original. Or, you know, 70s-era Skinnerd guy still with Skinnerd. Although I'm sure there's people yelling at their screen right now or their speakers how wrong I am, you know. That's fine. That we're not experts on anything. Obviously, people, if they really want to just read... You know, there are podcasts. I admit, there are podcasts to do this. They just literally read from Wikipedia. We, we can do that. But the, our uh, our reviews are more about how we felt. You know, silly things that kind of stuck out to us. Uh, we're Stallone podcast. So what, you know, what was Stallone like in the film? What do you look like? Things like that. And actually, I do want to talk. We we talked at the beginning of how he looked. He had the beard. Was this the last time he had a beard from this point until Rocky Four? I would think so, yeah. I think the Rocky Four beard was actually fake. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine so because, like, what's Rocky Four going to shut down production for 
weeks, really. I mean, or you film um, the beer scene first and then you shave it for the other scenes. If you think about Rocky Four, was also filming around the same time where the production of that was concurrent with, well, not concurrent, but filmed in very close proximity was Rambo First Blood Part Two. So it's not like Sly had a lot of time to sit around and, and grow a beard. I was going to say, that's a shame if it was if it was fake of Rocky IV, because I love that beard. It is, actually. I'm 90% sure. I'm, I'm like 90% sure it was a fake beard. Well, look, uh, at, look at the beard here in Nighthawks and compare it to the one in Rocky IV. I mean, Nighthawks is pretty much his natural. It's a well-trimmed, it's a well-groomed beard. I mean. Well, Doug, do you have the uh, synopsis of the film before we get too, too? It's oh. been so long since we did one of these that I forgot to do it. Basically, you've got two undercover cops who work in the um, street crime unit. Well, the movie opens with a woman who's... (laughs) (laughs) Not the the only time he's in drag. Stallone, he's wearing a mask. I I hadn't seen this film before, but I'm watching it. And, of course, I got the high def going. And I'm like, that is... a weird-looking lady. (laughs) I love how this is 1981. They didn't have any female police officers. I was just going to say that that's the absurdity of that scene. Really, it's like, come on, you know. There's plenty of. I'm sure there were plenty of women officers. You know, Maybe that could work. Street crimes unit. No, but they still can have her play the bait, and then mm-hmm. they come yeah. do what they're going to do to. T- so basically, I guess crime is so rampant, so rampant they can literally just put a woman on a street. And you're going to have four guys raping her. I mean, that's <laughs> what is New York City in the in the in the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, it was. It was a dangerous time. I mean, I'm not going to – the New York City that we know and love today is a lot different than the one from 40 years ago. I mean, even if you watch like Jason Takes Manhattan, which most of it was filmed in your neck of the woods, uh, Ryan, in Canada, they did film in Times Square. And that was Times Square when it was like porno theaters and you know there was a chance you could get mugged. Even watch like Jason Takes Manhattan and you'll right. see – the, the scary New York City. I think it steadily got worse through the 70s and really like hit its peak under Mayor Dinkins in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. Well, remember like Bernard Getz? Do you do you remember yeah, that? Yes. Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. He was like a subway vigilante. Oh. Yeah. He okay. would ride the subway and he had like what a pet rat, Doug? He would wait for people to mess with him and he would shoot him. It was like a real life death wish. Yeah. It was insane. So uh, Louise Mazel just chimed in. He says he can't stay too long. He does listen to the shows uh, on the audio. And he says, but he just wanted to check out some of the live recording and show you mofo some love. So thanks. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Thank Cheers, Louise. Okay. Uh, Drew is also there chiming in. He said that the club scene is his favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Nice. It's a good scene. So this movie starts off with a big mugging or the attempted mugging. Of course, uh, Stallone's character, which his name is, uh, oh boy, excuse me, uh, Deke. De Silva. De Silva. De Silva. That's right. He takes off his mask and reveals that. <laughs> Doug's shaking his head at me all the time. He takes. He take, this, this is your synopsis? This is like your two minute synopsis? <laughs> no, I'm going a little I'm kind of going a little bit because I do have notes. I did take notes at the beginning, so I'm kind of going. We're, we can talk about certain scenes because this opening scene is worth talking about because he's in drag. He, beat, sure. he beats up the muggers because he's a guy. Guys can beat up guys, but girls can't beat up guys. There was a, a foot chase with him in, in stockings and a, a nurse dress chasing down yeah. these muggers. Probably better than running in Converse, right? <laughs> you would think so. Those orthopedic. But that guy he's chasing, I believe that was famous stunt guy named Tommy Rowe, who probably seen in like a million movies in the 80s. You saw him get shot, set on fire, 
thrown off a cliff. That dude was a one of the go-to stunt guys. Okay, nice. So when this movie started, we have, of course, Sly or Deke does his fight with the bad guy at the fans. They beat him up. He takes the scarf and strangles him and he rests him. And then he drags him under arrest on the pavement back to his vehicle, I guess, or something. And he's dragging him by the scarf on the pavement. And he's, you know, reading the Miranda rights to him as he's dragging him. And he ends the Miranda rights with amen. You have the right to a legal counsel. You have the right to remain silent. And anything you say can be used in a court of law against you. Amen. This is now six, seven minutes into the film. I'm like, oh, is this a comedy? <laughs> Am I supposed to? <laughs> you said you didn't know at that point. Well, I, I knew that it had some grittiness to the film, kind of like a 48 hours comedy or even Beverly Hills Cop was kind of a gritty comedy. This is the 80s, right? But he's dragging the suspect on the ground, which I don't think is legal. By your neck? Probably not. No. With the scarf around him, reading the Miranda rights. But anyways, then I think, oh, this is a bit of a comedy. And we, if you want to right now, why don't we talk about the attempt at comedy throughout this film? Do you want to point out any references to the comedic bits that fell flat, I thought? Was there any attempts? Because <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I didn't well, get any. What, what are you... Well, just the idea that the lightheartedness, like the partner between um, Matthew Fox, played by Billy D. Williams, and uh, De Silva, played by Stallone. I loved their chemistry, by the way. They were great together. They were good together. They were elbowing each other at the brief... This is stuff you do in you know eighth grade. I, I don't know. It, it felt weird that they were doing this. Like, yeah, you're touching me. You're touching me. I don't know. <laughs> They're being silly with each other. But they go, oh, you're such a troublemaker. Start trouble, okay? Why are you always such a troublemaker? And then he flicked them with the pencil. <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get. I didn't really get too much of that. Did you guys catch all the Rocky, <laughs> the Rocky stuff? Uh, Joe Spinell. Mm-hmm. That's the big one. Yeah, so Joel, was, who plays Gazzo, uh, his ex-wife, played by Lindsay Wagner. Why even have her in the movie? I mean, like, what a waste. The bionic woman. There's actually more to talk about that because there's some deleted scenes that happened in the film between uh, Lindsay Wagner and Stallone that would have had more of her in it. There was a scene at the end of the movie where they went, they went out. Remember they had that phone call conversation? They were supposed to go on a date? Well, all right. How about this? Why don't we have dinner together next weekend? We could go to your favorite little Italian restaurant. <laughs> Did I say something that brought that on? Maybe. Are you serious? Absolutely. Well, how about I make the reservations then? Yeah? I'll call you on Friday. Okay, bye. It was the end of the movie, and it ended with her saying that she wasn't going to remarry or be with him again and had... Stallone's character crying and he yeah he had a breakdown or something and it ended up getting cut I know Sly is getting ready to prep a Rocky 4 director's cut but I think in the fandom there's two movies that people would rather have the director's cut for before that and I think Cobra is probably the first one on most people's list and then the other one is Nighthawks which Stallone has talked about I think didn't Stallone talk about like a two-hour cut of the movie there's a lot of deleted scenes. But speaking of deleted scenes, again, here's a. Remember, we talked about the specialist that rumor has it or the trivia has it that Stallone was a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jealous of James Woods. Yeah, because James Woods is a scene stealer. He's a very charismatic actor. And I mean, we love Sly. We love him. But you, like, you can have a favorite band. It doesn't mean 
they're the best musicians yeah. in the world. And it kind of bugged me to hear this, that even this early in his career, I mean, yeah, he had Rocky and yeah, Rocky two was out at this yeah. point too, right? Yes. Yeah. So Rocky two was out big success. But again, this rumor was that, yeah, during this filming, Rutger Hauer, who played Wolfgar, this was his first big film, and he did a great job in a debut film, a Norwegian his actor. first American film, yeah. Yeah, yeah, first American, sorry. Actually, wasn't he Dutch? Yeah, Dutch. <sighs> okay. No, Dutch. Well, he worked a lot with the Dutch actor uh, Paul Verhoeven, who made RoboCop. We'll have to ask Seiko if he's a national treasure like Paul Hogan is in Australia. So, <laughs> But this, what you're saying about him recutting around James Woods yes. to like kind of shine more of the spotlight on himself and less on James Woods. They showed two versions of this film to test audiences. Mm. One that highlighted more of Wolfgar's character and one that highlighted more of, of uh, Stallone's character. And the test audiences liked the one that showed more of Rucker Hauer. As, and that pissed Stallone off. So he like went into the cutting room and just sliced it up and, and recut it. So it featured him more. It just goes to show that even back then, again, we love Sly, but he's got to be the first one to admit that in the 80s and in the 90s, he's admitted that he had an ego. He admits it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has that anymore the way he did, but it was very much the case. It was in his 30s, mid-30s. Like, we get it. He was young compared to 74. He, I think he's humbled and wiser now. That we all are when we get older. But all that being said, I'm just saying that we're not we're not trying to crap on him, but we're to explain this might be the history of his life. How is it that the studio allowed that? I mean, is that normal for actors to meddle with editing that much? It all depends probably on the contract he had. He might have had clause in his contract that he had a say in the final cut or something like that. He took over production of the film after they fired the first director. Well, that so. director, he wasn't a, like a, an active working director. He had a, a proximity to John G. Adelson. He played the ring announcer in the first two Karate Kid movies. Yeah. <laughs> and he did, like, I think a documentary and a Steve Gutenberg movie. He, he did was, Hard to Kill with Steven Seagal as well. He was the replacement director, the guy that they fired the first time. I, I don't know what the guy's yeah, name was. Yeah, I forget was. his name, too. He was a Disney Channel worker or something, or Disney film worker. He, yeah, but, he, uh, he wasn't able to show up. And so Stallone directed the first day of filming. And that whole subway scene, I guess, was done in one day because Stallone directed it. The subway scene where they're chasing them on the train or down the abandoned tunnels. I, I don't know. One or the other. That was all part of the same sequence anyway, the same foot chase. And then, yeah, of course, the director's guild got really, uh, they were very strict about that. Well, the studio made a plea to the director's guild and they allowed it. I actually think that the movie benefits from having less Wolfgar. And he's the villain. Anytime that you limit the villain's exposure, it makes them more powerful of a villain. Like the shark and Jaws. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe give him some benefit of the doubt. The guy's a creator. You know, he is a creator. Yeah, there might have been a part of it like, oh, Rutger Hauer is stealing the show, but it's not his show. It's not called Wolfgar. It's called Nighthawks. And Nighthawks refers to the cops that work the street crime unit at night. Mm-hmm. They go out there and they take care of the crime at night. And so it is based or it's about the guys that work the night shift. Interesting to note that Stallone did not write this movie as well or co-write it. So mm-hmm. that's probably him exerting himself in post a little bit too. You know, we're so used to Stallone being involved in the scripts of his movies, if it, even if it's like the Creed movies where every Rocky scene, Stallone wrote every bit of dialogue for. But this movie, he doesn't have any credit from a writing perspective. Well, we're talking about 
Rocky-isms, though. One of the first things I caught, this happened near the beginning of the film, and I was like, oh, I wonder if we're going to get more of these, and we do. So one of the first things we get is his ex-wife, her name's Irene, played by Lindsay Wagner. You people grow, Deacon. I don't understand why you can't get transferred off the streets. I don't understand why you have to do these insane kind of things. Why the hell can't you change? I did. I almost expect to say everybody else does. That is a common phrase, but there's two films, like only four years apart, where the, the question is asked to the main character, played by Stallone, why can't you change? And then his character made these weird little mm-mm sounds to his... Uh, did you catch that when he's like rubbing her face? He's like, come oh, on, yeah. come on, oh, kiss yeah, me. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I feel like he's going to say, I'm going to kiss you. You don't have to kiss me back. <laughs> I'm going to rub your cheek. You don't have to rub mine back. Oh, Sly. But he's, yeah, he's got her corner. He's stroking her face. It was very reminiscent of the Adrian first kiss. We're talking about Rucker Howard's character. He kills a lot of people in this film. Yeah. He's a very effective killer. <laughs> the opening body count for me blows up that department store. I mean, how many people were in that store? This is going to be a really deep cut for you guys, but okay. do you know who the the counter girl that he talks to? Who that? What other role she played? She was Maggie in the Last Starfighter. Any oh, no other wow. nerds in the house? Funny enough, I think the first director might have directed that film. Yeah, let's talk about that opening sequence there with the bombing. Very well done. Shows you how ruthless this guy is. But do we get what? organization or what his message is as a terrorist what it is that he's trying to well like if he got his end game what his end game is he was part of some bigger movement but they kind of wrote him off after because they said that there were children that were killed in that bombing and he was like too much of a loose cannon for them or so they wrote him off so he was pretty much on his own but i don't know what his platform was what was he terrorizing like no, for no country was ever mentioned he just said he spoke for the people that don't have a voice I do not enjoy killing, but it's my job. Someone has to do it. I represent oppressed victims who have nothing. I speak only for them. I'm their voice. I'm a liberator. You think you're a liberator? <laughs> it fascinates him. He gives that note to Stallone for the press at the end of the, on the tram car, but we never know its contents. Ryan... Watching this for the first time, did you think that Rutger Hauer kind of looked weird in that opening scene? I know Rutger Hauer, obviously, from Blade Runner more than anything. I know who he is in other films, but I'm not a huge fan of his, like, I've followed his career. So I admit at the very beginning when that gentleman with the beard walked into the department store, I'm like, I know he plays the bad guy. And now he's putting a bomb under the clerk's desk or whatever counter. So there's a part of me is like, oh, is that, was that Rutger Hauer? I kid you not, I went on Wikipedia and I went on IMDb to see if somebody else played Wolfgar. Oh, that was him. I mean, I think they built up his nose a little bit. Okay. Because they talked about him wanting a more slender nose. It was mainly whatever prosthetics they did for his nose and the beard. And maybe he looked a little popped up, I think. Did However, it? they did that. It was definitely him. I got tricked because I don't know the actor very well. If it was Stallone being disguised, like we all know, it'd be very hard to, to disguise Stallone. He would have to have so much prosthetics on to not, you know, very distinct features. We know him so well. But I admit, I, it was like, is that a different actor? Did they just get, I, I didn't know because it was a young Rucker Howard too. Like he was young looking. I almost know more of his older years look. It was great. They did a great job. For the record, um, Gary Nelson was 
fired the first director. The director of Last Starfighter was Nick Castle. Oh, well, I wonder what the connection was. I did some sort of connection. It might have been a soundtrack producer or something because I came up in my IMDb wormhole. Mm. Speaking of body count, I love his first when he's at that uh, college party and he shoots the courier and the three police officers through his guitar mm-hmm. case. Do you think he would would have been able to pull off the kills without the guitar case, or was that just a fun little... Uh, <laughs> yeah. If they had seen him holding a gun, they probably would have approached him differently. No, they ran up the stairs, and they had two seconds, and he laid them. Like What I loved about that, there was no standoff or anything. He literally just they ran up the stairs, and they looked up, and they got mowed down in, in a very bloody fashion, too. There was a comment here by Drew. He wants us to answer this question. Better partner for Sly, Billy D. Williams in Nighthawks or Kurt Russell in Tango and Cash? This is going to be controversial because I'm a huge Kurt Russell fan. If I had a list, five actors that I'll watch any movie they do, Kurt Russell's probably on that list, hands down. His performance and his chemistry with Stallone in Tango and Cash is awesome. But I got to say that there's the scene where Billy D convinces Deke to take the assignment. He's asking us to commit ourselves to stopping a, 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 a terrorist who's capable of wiping out hundreds of people in one shot, just like that. All right, now, you're one of the best. He's looking at you as one of the best, and you can't back off now. you got to stay with it. Think about it, okay? It's up to you. That scene is a phenomenal scene. Hmm. I think Billy D acts it wonderfully, and I think Stallone's performance in that scene is great. And it was just watching Billy D work with Stallone in that scene. For me, I have to say that Billy D was the better partner. Better I partner? loved Billy D. I yeah. loved him in this. I wonder if there was more of this part of him too, because at that drug bust, he really went off on that one drug dealer that that had the kid inside the house. And like you really believed that he was going to blow that guy's head off right there. I wonder if there could have been more about like why that hit him so hard. What was his involvement? Because I was like, why does he act like he knows this guy? There were other cops that they paid off. So it seemed okay. like the drug dealer was, I already paid off you guys. Like, why, oh. why are you? Okay. All right. Maybe we'll find out in the reboot that's going to be on the Peacock Network streaming service. I think that'd be great because it's going to be a Balboa production. It's his first TV production. That's kind of cool. Now, do they have Peacock up in Canada or? Actually, no, you can't. Because I, I know CBS uh, CBS All Access is mm-hmm. not available in Canada. So I assume NBC is the same. But a lot of those shows are All Access. This is totally tangent. But like, for example, Picard. Yeah, it's on Netflix in Canada, right? It's on our Crave. It's called Crave TV, but it's the same thing. Yeah, it's as well yes we get it yeah, that's the thing we get everything that's available on our own paid services here they just where do you get lower decks i haven't seen it yet so i don't know i'll let you know hey, no i'm i owe you an apology because i'm looking through my notes here and there was in the briefing <laughs> fox gets the silver with a hand buzzer like one of those old-fashioned <laughs> yes i yes. that's right they're poking each other with their elbows the hand buzzer gag <laughs> yeah okay. you're right all, all right. right i, I like, apologize Anyways, when did 48 Hours come out? Was 82 or 83? Okay. Let's find out. Yeah, it had to be well, it was before Beverly Hills Cop, which was 84. Okay. Yeah, 1982. So the surgeon that reconstructed Wolfgar's face, just so you know, he doesn't work on Sundays usually. <laughs> it's the Lord's Day. That is the last Sunday he ever worked because he got yep. killed too. <laughs> on the Lord's Day. Well, this whole plastic surgery thing... 
he did the surgery like that day. There wasn't any kind of pre-op preparation they needed to do. Blood tests. The thing that really bugs me about this is, you know, you have to factor in recovery time. We're talking, what, a, a couple of weeks, what, four to six weeks probably before he looks normal again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a detail here that pissed me off because the only reason that they know that Wolfgar has changed his looks is because he used a caliber of bullet that is like, specific or or tied to Wolfgar. Like, why would he do that? There was a plastic surgeon murdered in Paris recently. The method and caliber of the bullet used was the same as Wolfgar has used in similar assassinations. So, gentlemen, he may now look entirely different. Yeah, there's there's a very good point. This guy is so willing to not be caught that he changes his face, but he leaves forensic evidence behind that leads... No wonder his terrorist group doesn't want anything to do with this guy. He's, he's not only a loose cannon, but he's not very bright. He's just chaotic and a killer. They could have done a line where he's like, I wanted them to know that I was still out there, but now I look different or something. Like you said, it made him look completely incompetent. Wouldn't you use a burner weapon or something or something that couldn't be tied back to you forensically? And why would you have a calling card in the first place? Like, a, you know, you use the same caliber bullet every time. It's weird. They could have shaved his beard, cut his hair, and dyed it, and he would have been a completely different person. Yes. And the contact lenses so he could have blue eyes. Yeah, that's that was very specific. He wanted those. Well, I like how the doctor, when he asked for blue eyes, he looked at his eyeball like he's going to take it out and replace it with another eyeball look. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just give me contact lenses. The guy went up to his eyes like, yeah, I think we can uh, I think we can make those eyes blue. Well, with That's what? how they corrected vision back then, right? <laughs> Don't they, you know? They just scoop out the one and put yeah. another. That's right. Stallone's character, he had a drawing that he was working on. So he had the picture of what Wolfgar looked like pre-surgery. He just, I guess, assumed what the natural alteration might be. How would you know that... Put it this way, if I, if I went to a professional artist and I said, look, I'm going to... You're not going to know, but I'm going to get my face mucked up so you can't recognize me anymore. Draw what I'm going to look like. How would the artist know? How did Sly's character even have any idea? Enough that he was able to ID him at the bar. Say, look, if, just, if I just erase this little line here on his cheekbone, it's him. Come on, D. Listen, why don't we check out another place? Wait, wait. What? I'll say I did this. Cut this off. Yeah? Edit this. He could look something like that, couldn't he? Yeah, I guess so. Why? Because that is standing over there. I got a feeling. Well, you want to go check him out? I think it was they were trying to focus on his eyes. I think he saw something in his eyes. That dead psychopath look. I don't know what it was. But then in the middle of the bar, because he had the drawing with the beard on. Yeah. In the middle of the bar, he pulls out the drawing. And he's like, wait, what if he did this and this? And like he raised the beard and drew some cheek lines. <laughs> How dark is it normally inside of a bar or a <laughs> yeah. nightclub? Very. Too dark to you know, like- Put that connection you know, together. Yeah, this had the movie lighting or whatever, but he, he was, what, 25, 30 feet away? Yeah. And I thought the first two guys that he saw that resembled him were him. What's funny is he altered the picture to match the guy. <laughs> he could have done that for anybody. Why don't I just uh, make his nose a little bit smaller and uh, make his cheekbones a little bit more sunken? In? It's that guy right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> there was an intelligent movie somewhere in this movie. I, I haven't really given my thoughts on the film as how I feel about it. Rucker Hauer saved the film overall. Every scene that he was in, he was good. Even though it's the plot devices that he had to act in weren't very good. That wasn't his fault as an actor. And the fact, I think all the moving parts of the actors did a good job. I think everyone in their role of what they did, I think they 
brought it to the table. I think there was just, I think there was a film in there somewhere, again, that got mucked up on the editing table. Didn't have a very good flow, and there's a lot of plot devices. I know it's 1981, but why do people in 1981 think that just by carrying a picture around, like, there should have been a different way to identify him? And it's not that hard to come yeah. up with something. I think yeah, you yeah. and I, the three of us, sit us down for half an hour. I think we could come up with a better idea of how it is they identify him at the bar. Fine, they go to the haunts and hideouts this guy's at. That's fine. That makes sense. That's police work. But why are we going off a sketch of someone who thinks he might look this way? That doesn't make sense in the real world. Or not even throwing that they got your passport and they have your photo anyway. Like if they had, I guess they needed a photo. Cause was that the only known photo of him? His passport photo. That's the one they kept showing. So he had to change his look. I don't know. So I got my next ro- Rocky reference. If you guys want to hear it, they're at the police force and they're talking to Gazo <laughs> and they, they've been assigned to the anti-terrorist group from their street crime unit. And he says here for nine years, I've been working decoy and now I'm being pulled off and I want to know what for. Come on, Manato. For nine years, I've been working decoy, right? Now I'm pulled. I'd like to know what for. You get it? Do you get what that's connected to? For six years, I've been... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For six I years... I now. Yeah, so he actually says it's a different line, but Sly's got to know. I just said this in, like, in my most famous film five years ago where I said, for six years I've been coming here, you've been sticking to me, I want to know how come. Hmm. And Gosler should have said, yeah, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know? And then I love it when uh, when Sly's character De Silva touches uh, Joel Spinelli's c- character Manufa or oh, whatever yeah. his name. He goes, "It flipped out." <laughs> he goes, "Get your hands off me, sucker!" And this department will extend every courtesy. Do you understand? No, I don't understand. Get your hands off me! Understand that, sucker! <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sound bites and going back to the well, we didn't get to the train chase yet. Do you want to? Or we can go back. Well, there at the end of that after. Fox gets his face sliced. De Silva's screaming like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, mother. You know, bleep. His meltdown is just awesome. And especially at the end, like the last mother that he says, sorry. On the YouTube videos, you can swear I'll edit it for the Mm -hmm. podcast. It's fine. But the last one he says, he rings it out and it trails off and the sound turns into the train. Zooming down a tunnel. It's a really great piece of sound editing. Stallone's got the great yell. When he's crying over Mickey's body, when he's he's doing drag over the top of the mountain, he's got that great guttural yell in his in his voice, yeah. a very deep, boisterous voice. Yeah, he's got it, real gravelly, and like, like he, he does have a great yell. What I love is this terrorist brief. It's the longest brief in history. Oh my god! No wonder they're getting crazy, uh, De Silva, and uh, so so what's happened here, folks? Is De Silva and Matthew Fox, the two partners, they're, they've been pulled into this te- anti-terrorist group to capture. This known terrorist has made his way. Was it New York? I'm sorry, guys. Was it New York City? Yeah, it was New York City. Okay. So this terrorist is in New York City. They've somehow got this intel that he's in the city. So they've gotten together all these different organizations, the best from this group, the best from this group. So they got the two best guys from street crime to be part of this anti-terrorist task force group. Because of their military records? Yeah, the military, yes. 52 confirmed kills, yeah. They're in this briefing, and this briefing goes on forever. It's almost like a montage briefing. It gets to one point where the intelligence officer from the UK is now asking them questions about characters in this ploy. Shakahala. OPEC raid Vienna. And? And what? What did she do in the OPEC raid? Okay, once again. She shot a policeman in the neck at point-blank range. 
She kills without provocation. She's a known associate of Wolfgast. And De Silva. Name the three successful anti-terrorist raids recorded worldwide. Look, we've gone over and over this for days now. And we'll go over it until it's second nature. You have to learn to think like him, to act with the same ruthlessness he does. Isn't this overkill? It's like a university course. It, it got yeah, it was over. It was over several days. They're like, let's go out and get this guy. And he's like, well, we'll go out well, and get this guy after this intense training is completed. Yeah. And then he goes, name the top three yeah. uh, <laughs> successful then, anti-terrorism raids. But then Deke makes a great point. He's His cover is always some woman who's clean. He loses one, he finds another. We know his M.O., but what we don't know and what we'll never know sitting here. Deke uh, like, is like, basically, this guy's a bozo. He always finds a single woman to latch himself onto. It's, he, as a street cop, he knew that that was the through line or the way to get to him. Deke makes a a pretty good point there. If I was somehow in charge of script doctoring or like what does make sense here, I would have said, well, it's important to have the brief. It's okay for the character to be a little bit annoyed by the brief, but but by the briefing, but it should have been shortened. We could still see the annoyance of the character being like, let's get out there. But but at the same time, my, my little knowledge in the military, I'm sure Doug with your, as a police officer, you know this, it's important to get intelligence before you go out there. You can't just go out in the street and look for the guy. They got to know what he looks like, what yeah. his ammo is. The brief is important. It's like a huddle before a football play. You have to have what's our plan before we go out there. Yeah, but a huddle doesn't take days and days. The problem is they know that this guy's in New York. They know that he's going to kill a bunch of people because he, he wants to get on the news and he wants to make a name for himself. But there's no sense of urgency. Yeah, that's a great Like, have a yeah. quick briefing. This is where he, he hangs out. He latches on to, to single women at these discos and shacks up with them as his base of operations. What a horrible M.O. So his M.O. is he finds a female that will take him in, basically live with him, to store his cache of armory. This is actually his known M.O. That he uses a girl's residence to store his good. Why can't he just get an apartment or basement suite and nobody finds his stuff? Mm-hmm. Why complicate it? Just so he has somebody else to kill. In the movie, like a, another <laughs> no, innocent I, person that that they want to kill. Uh, we just got uh, Drew just chimed in. He said, "Mention Doug is a police officer in every episode." Check. <laughs> <laughs> it's on your bingo card. Your Flash <laughs> Stallone Podcast Network bingo card. Yeah, so Ryan. you know Ryan's mo. Ryan's <laughs> mo is make bad jokes. Mention Doug's a cop. <laughs> Craig to fall asleep. Take no notes. <laughs> yeah, doing no notes and then. <laughs> Offering up bullshit facts. Well, Craig ruined your other part of your MO when you mentioned Judge Dredd. When's the Judge Dredd episode coming out? Well, now it's Assassin's. So I think this is the yeah. second episode where we've asked about when's Assassin's coming out. Ryan, I got to tell you, the Assassin's recording, it was the first time that myself, Jeff Ferry, and Mike Kunda had sat down and podcasted together in a very, very long time. I'd have to pull the file up, but it's two and a half, two forty. You know what editing's like. I mean, yeah. you're you're an editing beast. Man, if I wasn't such a meticulous editor, I would pop those episodes out. To sit down with 240 minutes of raw audio, alone you have to deal with all the shit on my end. The birds, the dogs, the, the police cars in my old apartment. I respect the heck out of the fact that you're able to churn out content the way you are because I sit down to edit and I'll do 10 minutes of work. Uh, it'll take me 40, 50, 60 minutes, and then I'm done for the day. Now you've uh, created it, so I have to edit that whole thing out that you just talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Let me 
me give you a little uh, clapboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you guys catch during the brief what his description of a terrorist is, his three things, what he likes? His pattern is that he immediately makes female contacts to establish safe housing for his armory. He also has a liking for fancy foods, expensive clothes, and the nightlife. So first is that he gets a female uh, store his or his armory at the house. He likes fancy foods, expensive clothes, and the high life. Sounds like you. Oh, I wear the same shirt. And <laughs> my wife buys me new clothes because I refuse to buy things for myself. He sounds like your standard James Bond villain. Oh, that road case that he used that the girl finds in the closet, those things haven't changed the way they look in 40 years. <laughs> when I go back to my job, whenever I finally go back after this pandemic, that road case is on a shelf in our office. And is he just walking through the streets of New York, swinging that thing around? She looked like she really struggled <laughs> to pull it out. He had a, a couple of guns in there. What else was in there? Grenades. grenades. It's crazy. He had grenades in there. I like how they're all <laughs> lined up in a row. It's nice. It's like very yeah, neatly laid out grenades. Nice. I like what she was saying to him You know, when they had their awkward little first date where she's mentioning that she's a, a flight attendant or a stewardess, that she's basically a flying waitress, and her name was Pam, and she works mm-hmm. for Pan Am. And then he, she's all awkward and silly, but she goes, I like to dance. I, I felt so bad for her because I knew the kill was coming. But then oh, she yeah. goes, what do you do for work? And he's like, well, I'm an international terror- terrorist and a lady killer. You know, I never asked you what you do. Well, besides dance a lot, I fly for national. I'm Pam. Fly me. That's an airline joke, sort of. Don't get me wrong, I don't actually fly the plane. I'm just a stewardess. Or flying waitress, as some people call us. But I'd really rather dance and do any of that. How about you? Me? Mm-hmm. I'm an international terrorist, wanted by the police in half the countries of Europe. <laughs> and I am a lady killer. Sure. Sure. <laughs> like, and that was oh, cool. You. Yeah, oh, you. I <laughs> But that was a great delivery and a great little line there where it's one of those – it's a bit of a trope that happens in movies every now and then where you say the truth because it's so absurd that no one's going to believe you. Yeah. I liked a lot about his character. Yeah, he acted the shit out of this for real. There was – um the English guy Hartman is going over the mm. Silva's military record when he mentions the 52 registered kills in Vietnam. Dick De Silva, drafted into the Army August the 4th, 1969. Volunteered for Airborne School. Applied for accepted by Officers Candidate School. Reassigned 1st Lieutenant 1st Cavalry Division, Vietnam. And much more. The most interesting statistic is 52 registered kills in combat service. One would have said that you were quite adept at pulling the trigger, wouldn't one? That was war. Let me just say that I have a feeling You'll do the right thing at the right time. It seems like Hartman just wants them to find Wolfgar and kill him. Good point, yeah. And with, without bringing him in, without arresting him, without due process, they just want him whacked. De Silva's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not just going to kill somebody because there's too much risk involved with innocent people, blah, blah, blah. They make they make this a whole thing about him not wanting collateral damage, which I guess is admirable, but they make this a real plot point for the whole film. Maybe there was something years ago and earlier in his career where – a straight bullet might have capped an innocent person, but that was never talked about. Yeah, there, I mean, there was really no payoff for it. He was so hesitant about killing this guy because during the briefing, he's like, it sounds like you just want us to kill him. I'm not a killer. I did become a police officer to be a killer. This is a terrorist. He doesn't think like a criminal. 
He wants to be a hero. And you want to treat him like some mugger on the streets? Get inside the man's head, damn it! Look, I understand that, but how do you expect me to understand that you're training us to be nothing but assassins? And the only difference between him and us will be the badge. I don't know about you, and I don't know about the rest of these men, but I didn't join the force to kill people. And everyone in America... No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is, well, he's not really saying that. He's saying that this guy is a killer. He's a, a brutal terror in the, in the confines of the film. He's already murdered people in London. He's a killer in general. So if you got a clean shot, take the shot. I don't think any agency would ever do that. You'd want to always get people alive for information. Information is gold. Just to kill him doesn't, you know, you want to know what his network is. So it, it does seem odd. A better film might have made this guy a bad guy too because he wants this guy dead. So this kind of complex but thing there, going there, on. Yeah. There's also that pesky thing called the right to due process. Like the guy, That's what I mean, as, yeah. as big of a piece of shit as he is, he deserves his day in court, I guess. It's true. And to get back to your train scene, um, Doug, he's telling oh, yeah. Deke to take the shot when he's got the knife to the woman's neck. You'd have to be a pretty damn good That's shot. A, a precision <laughs> shot, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like a, a sniper shot. There That's, is no cop in the world is going to take that <laughs> was, shot. There was nothing on him that was visible for a clean shot, and he was moving yeah. around. There's nothing you can do. You Collateral damage, I'm sure, in your all silliness aside, I'm sure. I know police officers obviously do want do not want to harm the public. I can only imagine there's no police officer that would take that shot. No, it, you're taking uh, an extreme risk at hitting the uh, innocent the hostage or whatever. Because in that situation, yeah. he's using her as a shield. He wants her yeah. alive. Let him get away. At this point, we don't want her dead. It's not her fault this whole thing is happening. He's going to get away. That's fine. Because if he just slices her throat, like he's not going to because then, then – Then she'll die and he'll have an open shot. Exactly. We had a case here back in, uh, it was years ago, in the Woodbridge Center, the shopping mall here in New Jersey. There was a guy who took a woman like that, and the cop was a sharpshooter, killed the guy. And the hostage ended up suing the Woodbridge Police Department for damages, for mental anguish and whatever, because the cop took that shot. This isn't the litigious 1970s, right. you know, the, the more recent times here, but that's a possibility, too. Ah, man, the Woodbridge Mall. Yeah, good old days, huh? I caught a film flub. I mean, there's a many, but I actually caught a legit film flub. It was the Rosington Collins Band was playing on the record player. Okay, you follow me here? Mm -hmm. And the first song that was playing was Getaway. And then she pushed the needle forward. And my understanding is she pushed it from the outer inner. She slid it forward. I double-checked. And by sliding it forward, you're going to the next song. Well, the next song on the track listing is actually Opportunity. So they had it backwards. <laughs> wow. Now, do you know every pressing of that album? Answer your question, yes. You proved me wrong, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, that is a very, very deep pull, Ryan. Thank uh, you. I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> to call that a film flub is a... Uh... I really thought she went backwards, though. Uh, no, she pushed it forward. So in, in a sense... Either way, you don't hear the... You don't hear the scratch. Did it very quickly, and she was able to land right on the beginning of the song. She knew that record well. So we talked about his uh, leaving plan. So he did, you know, to be fair, he left that bullet, right, at the surgeon's office. But he also left evidence at... 
the uh, killed girlfriend's house. Remember what it was? The map of wait, what did he blow? Oh, he blew up the some, something in a financial district. That's right, a little bank or whatever at night. But he left the map at his girlfriend's house after he killed her. Because uh, I was thinking, how do they know this? girl this dead girl has anything to do with the terrorists and that's how because a map was left there of yes we found a stewardess dead what stewardess look if you guys on a command right. center haven't heard Watch of this out. girl maybe it's time you did we're not sure who her boyfriend was but we've gone through our souvenirs it's like a road map of every discotheque and singles bar in town so what's that have to do with us no nothing unusual except one thing that doesn't belong a map of the wall street area Street that was bombed was circled. I want you and Fox to hit all the places she might have hung out. Somebody might have a beat on it. All right, we're on it. Uh, the and bomb yeah, facility. that location was circled. Yeah, the, yeah. So maybe he is doing it on purpose. Maybe it's his thrill being chased a little bit. I want to give some props to Stallone acting. Of course. Um, that scene where the where Hartman, the English guy, is going over his military record, and he tells. Mm. The Silva, like, I have a feeling you'll do the right thing at the right time. We talk a lot on Rocky Minute about Stallone's silent acting, his face acting. And he does a lot of that in this part when Hartman's talking to him. He's he's taking it in. And it's almost like when he, he mentions Vietnam, it almost is like in Stallone's mind, the Silva's back in Vietnam at that moment thinking about these registered kills and it being war. This isn't war. Yes. That, that was war, so it was okay to to kill 52 people. It was a good bit of face acting. And when uh, the commissioner says, they go back and forth between Stallone and the commissioner a couple of times. And then uh, the commissioner says, good evening to Silva. And then they cut back to Wolfgar. But I wish at the end of that, after he says good evening, they did like another shot of Stallone in that place doing some, some more of that silent facial acting. That scene was good. Stallone, like I said, was good. he was good in this film. Totally made me wish that he did more of these type of films the gritty cop dramas Mm -hmm. are great i love i love cop films and tv shows i'm a sucker for them i watch blue bloods i watched nypd blue i watch all that stuff man i love the cop dramas and tv shows so blame rocky three yeah maybe (laughs) maybe the other uh rocky pole you ready two in one scene when they're at that function with the un function or whatever he's made friends with the english guy they've they've become friends now they respect each other and what they Mm do I knew right then and there that guy was dead. Yeah, yeah. Because it was too jolly, too jovial. Yeah, because they said let's uh, let's go for Chinese after or whatever. Chinese after this tonight's tasking, let's go to get, get a bite to eat and hang out as, as comrades. He uh, said, uh, "Do you want to pick the place or pay for it or whatever?" And Stallone's character's response was, "Age before beauty." Are you hungry? Hmm. Bet. Chinese food, lady. Look forward to it. The silver, by the way. Who's picking up the check? Well, I believe in age before beauty, don't you? He's that same line two years later in Rocky Three. Oh. <laughs> to Apollo when he enters the ring, goes age before it's beauty. Another Rockyism. Yes, and then the fourth one was right after that he runs up those steps. Steps <laughs> 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 was a lot of steps. I think it's almost more than the Philadelphia Art Museum. Maybe. Anyway, oh, yeah. I had one too, Ryan. Right before this, he's talking to his ex on the phone when she asked him the dinner. He says, are you serious? And she says, absolutely. Oh, there you go. Maybe. Are you serious? Absolutely. Another Stalinism is he keeps saying, come on, come on. Come on, badass. Come on, cut me, badass. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
Come on, badass. Come on. He always says that when he when he's in a fight. He does that. Come on. Come, Come on, Creed. On. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I sounded very good. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I kept saying after I watched this movie, I kept saying uh, from uh, Expendables 2 where he's calling out Valon. He's like, come on, Valon. Come on, Valon. <laughs> come on, Valon. Somebody's dying. Come on, Valon. Come on, Valon. <laughs> and they had 911 back then? I didn't know that. Give me 911, please. And 81. 911? Yeah, oh, sure. The guy at the uh, tram called for nine one one. I maybe Canada didn't have it then. That's all. I kind of remember when it was a big thing, and I don't remember six mm-hmm. years old when this movie came on. I guess I already had it in the states. So good for you guys. Look at you guys being progressive. Nineteen sixty eight, according to uh, the Google. There okay, there you go. At that moment, it, it was the Wolfgar's partner, the Shaka, the female, the girl who kills the uh, commissioner. You know, everybody runs and, and finds the commissioner dead. Manafo, who's Joseph Manel, says they have all the ex- exits covered, and De Silva goes, forget it, she's gone. All right. We got all the exits covered. Forget it. What do you mean, forget she's it? She's gone. Forget it. How did he know it was a female that killed oh, him? Oh, yeah. Didn't uh, Fox say it? I don't want to take away your point, but I think Billy did D he, said that. Did he? Did he see yeah. Did he see her? Well, I don't know about that, but it, it was his, it was his line. Oh, oh, oh. Could have been a witness... At the scene, probably described. Okay. You know, it was a woman. Drew chimed in again. He said that he agrees that Rocky Three changed everything. After that kind of success, Stallone was never going to go back to small, grittier movies. Yep. Uh, I agree. Man. That's a good point. Uh, it's just too bad. I just, I like seeing Stallone in this. Though, why was he dressed like a pimp the whole film? I th- Was that the undercover? With the leather jacket. <laughs> those tinted yeah, glasses? Like, Were those prescribed yeah. glasses? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was like the Serpico look. I mean, Serpico was real a real dude. So I think that was the undercover cop. Probably they had like a, a style guide. He looked cool. He looked cool. Hey, Ryan, in the uh, elevated tram car, mm. did you actually think that he was going to kill the baby? No. Because remember, he wanted to be back in the good graces with his old terrorist mm-hmm. group. The reason why he got kicked out was because the terrorist group was against the killing of children. So that's why he wanted to publicly save the baby was to show both the states and his terrorist group that I'm not a baby killer. Look, I, I, I will carry out this mission, but I'm going to protect the children. See, see, I'm me too. So he made it known that he was going to save the baby. That's why. When he kills that one hostage in that tram, he's using a, a high-powered weapon there. Would there have been, like, other people that were impacted by that? I mean, it seemed like a weapon that's a really messy weapon. Uzis are not that strong. It's- the thing about an Uzi is, is it's high capacity. It's still only a nine millimeter. It was overkill, basically. I, definitely overkill. But I think the collateral damage there would be would be hearing loss by everybody yeah. inside <laughs> that tram car because tight space. That kill was gr- for drama and for like, oh, my. Because, you know, on films, they don't really kill very often the hostage. But I like this one's for yeah. you, De Silva. It just kills her. This one's for you, De Silva. Oh, Christ, don't do it. God damn it, Matt, he killed her. I requested no police. The way they dump her out of the tram, it's very... Dumped her out of the tram, dude. She took like a a 200-foot drop. The only thing I really... Maybe a better filmmaker would have done it, you don't get any reaction from the husband. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe he's looking for an out. (laughs) (laughs) He gives gives Wolfgar, like, a wink. (laughs) 
I want to get back to clothes real quick. Who else loved that Superman shirt that mm-hmm. Billy D had? What was the story behind that? I have no idea. I mean, that's it's just another telltale sign that this is a movie that was made 40 years ago because that's not a logo you would see. I mean, Superman was big back then. I think the first two had been out by then. Have they not? Yeah, yeah. But what I'm, yeah. what I'm saying is you don't do that nowadays. There'd be probably, you know, rights that you'd have to clear and things like that. And they probably wouldn't want to give that kind of rub to a, a competing franchise or whatever but sure. and it wasn't even like that refined of a logo either it almost looked like a patch or something R- it really looked out just- of place <laughs> for sure you know there are people who are just that nerdy about their likes and interests you know some people even do a whole podcast on one person <laughs> <laughs> who are those losers well there's two idiots on this one at least <laughs> I like that. It says two idiots, but there's three of us. So that's his game. Yeah. <laughs> he knows there's three of us. He says two idiots. Now you three, you three fight it out. He was dropping a little bit of poison into the water to create right. internal tension. That's right. There's a moment when uh, Wolfgar is making his demands to the police department, and he says all these comrades that he wants released from their mm. prisons. Yeah. The following comrades are to be released before 10 o'clock. Mohamed Yafi, Rafael Saldana, Miroslav Yakovic, Lu Chantau. Did that remind anybody of Hans Gruber in, in Die Hard? I wonder if they picked that from this. I think there's a little bit of similarity in that and the ruthlessness of the killing of that hostage. Hans Gruber did that too in Die Hard with that guy who was snorting cocaine at the desk. Whatever yeah, that yeah. Ellis. Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Ellis. Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> That was improv, by the way, too. Uh, oh, was it? Yeah, that actor, um, he improv that line. So uh, <laughs> That was pretty good. Let's talk about the end. Doug, did you know the reveal? Because this was your first time watching it. Did you know that, that was Sly and Drag? Kind of a callback to the beginning of the film? No, I thought Sly was going to come in through the door blow. Uh-oh. You got some leg here, folks. Just stand by. <laughs> you like Stallone's butt. <laughs> And, like, I love how he's wearing this wig, and it's just plopped on top of his head. He doesn't have, a, uh, you know, the shower uh, cap you know, thing. You know, something to, like, hide cap. his normal hair. And why wouldn't he have worn the absurd mask? Just repeat, if you don't mind, for the audio. I missed it. So to say again what the issue was with Sly not dressed up properly. Oh, did you hear me talk about his butt? That's where I came in, but I, mi- I missed how you led up to it. At what point is it Stallone in that scene? Because okay. when he first comes in the apartment, it's a very slender person with a little bit of a butt. Clearly, it's not Stallone, or at least hopefully it's not Stallone. I would argue that he was working with his ex-wife because she actually walked into the building. So they could have been working at Cahoots mm-hmm. together. And once the door opens, she goes to the side and he comes out. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, at what point did he know that? She was a part of the plan. She knew that he was out there. Stallone's character would have said, look, this is a dangerous mission or whatever. You're going to come home. I'm going to be in the house right there with you. You're going to walk through the door. You're going to do some dishes in the kitchen. Once that door opens, you're going to go to the side of the pantry, and I'm going to come out. So he'd risk a civilian that he has a relationship with, but wouldn't depend on a policewoman at the beginning of the movie. Exactly. (laughs) A trained professional. (laughs) Drew uh, mentioned that this movie was originally sequel to the French Connection or Death Wish. Can't remember which one. It was the French uh, Connection. French Connection, yeah. And, uh, part three. It was supposed to be part three. three. Yeah, Hackman didn't want to do another one. 
it was almost the exact same plot. Apparently, this was very the story was already created, and then they brought in the screenwriter to finish it up. I think it's the screenwriter that did Flight of the Navigators. One of those things, anyways. So the screenwriter, no, no Last Starfighter. Sorry. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the French Connection Three was going to be basically this story. That's why you have the black cop character on the side because it's supposed to be Richard Pryor working with Gene Hackman. Yeah. yeah and then, then you would have had some comedy. And by the way, this writer did work on a movie called Flight of the Intruder in 1991. Maybe that's one of the... I don't know. I, last Starfighter, Navigator, Flight of the Intruder, Inner Space. Well... <laughs> inner Space. <laughs> a pretty good little ending there with the turnaround reveal. I love how he takes I mean, off the he takes off the wig before he shoots. You, you got a guy with a knife very close to you, and Doug. You know about proximity, proximity, capability, and mm-hmm. intent, right? So this guy is very close to do some stabbing. I would not take the time to take my hand off my weapon. This is really embarrassing that I'm wearing a wig. So I'm going to take this off because when I kill you, I'm going to kill you like a man. They should have had a line from an insert shot of Rucker Howard saying, "You." Oh, off, like you didn't recognize him until he took the wig off. Yeah. Now, clearly, Wolfgar was going for, like, a suicide by cop thing here, right? He didn't think that he was going to get the jump on Deke, did he? No, he was there to kill Irene. No, but what I'm saying is once, once you know, Deke's got the gun drawn on him, like... He's not going in alive. He figures, I might get something in. I might get something in. Mm-hmm. But he isn't going in alive. There's no way. He, he knows what he's done, what he's, quote-unquote, guilty of with the rules of the world. There's no way he's going to be... I'm going to go out shooting. Why not? You might take him with him, some, something like that. And the did you guys see the, the gunshot the, violence that was brutal? Like the one bullet? What kind of caliber no. weapon did he have there to do that kind of splatter? Well, I, I vaguely remember reading that that ending, there was a lot of editing chicanery there as well. His death was supposed to be a lot more gory. He was supposed to get shot five times, including an exploding headshot. Oh, nice. That would have been awesome. Well, it was rated X originally. Yeah, it was because of things like that. His death, this was the first scene that was shot. Oh, yeah, that's and, amazing. Uh, there was a lot of tension between him and Stallone on set. Uh, this wasn't Stallone's fault, but he was burnt by one of the squibs that went off. Oh. And, and uh, then he wipes some uh, fried chicken on his pants, right? <laughs> He's talking about Lord of Flatbush and when Richard, yeah. oh, when Richard oh. Gear. Yeah. My God. Did Stallone really start that rumor about the dribble? Uh, <laughs> I put that movie out of my head. <laughs> if you haven't already, go back and listen to our Lords of Flatbush review. Oh, no, boy. No. I'm sure from a an onset perspective, you don't want that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. when you have your hero and your villain having some real life tension, I, could I think ultimately that translates into the film. Sure. One part that was Stallone's fault, I guess, was they yanked the harness back too hard that Howard was wearing, and that was supposedly at Stallone's direction. <laughs> Stop. Yank him harder. What? Really? Yeah. We do have to give some props to Sly here. He did that. Speaking of harnesses, he did that stunt. On the tram. Oh, yeah. I mean, it might not look impressive, but you're 200 mm-hmm. plus feet in the air. You're over the Hudson River. East River. Um, East River. East River. The rhymes, <laughs> the, the river expert of Manhattan. Um, <laughs> it was winter, from what I understand. So you're dealing with really cold water. That's an impressive stunt that he did. It is. He did another one that less impressive, but impressive in itself, is jumping onto the back of the moving subway. Yeah, that's cool. And kicking out that window. And he wanted real glass. 
That yeah. Movie. <laughs> Stallone, just calm down. It's a movie. You don't have to prove your manhood on every beat. <laughs> to his credit, he keeps saying that he's terrified of heights, but he keeps doing films where he's cliffhanger, cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. tram. So, yeah, he did this. It was 230 feet in the air, legit, and that's why they made sure they got a lot of shots. There's some good shots of the helicopter right next to the tram. That was very close mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. tram. In fact, when the tram does the stop in the film, it goes back and forth pretty good with people inside of it. I'm afraid of heights legitimately, and this was actually a well-filmed, very stressful scene. I think the tram, the, or the last act of the film with the tram sequence, with the bus sequence, with the uh, going to the Irene's apartment, all that was really well done. It was really well-filmed and a good tension. But yes, yeah, Sloan said that he was told to have a, a Gerber knife on him. In case he fell into the river, he could cut the harness off before he got dragged. Yeah, and he said that it's ridiculous that he even thinks that. He says now looking back, they were taking advantage of him. He says it's ridiculous that he would ever think that he would survive the fall. Enough that oh. he would have the wits <laughs> in the freezing water and the fall and the cable around him that he would cut the... Can you imagine if that did break? Yeah. Then the last film that we'd ever have a Sly would be an unfinished Nighthawks film? That's weird. <laughs> Not to take anything away from what he did, but if you guys watch the... You, do you guys watch the Impractical Jokers? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Do you remember the the episode where they put Joe in the Captain Fat Belly suit oh. on top of the tram? Yeah. It was like the yeah. Nighthawk tram. Yeah, and it was high. That was yeah, high. yeah. He was tethered in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have to send you the clip, Ryan. Okay, yeah, please, yeah, please do. <laughs> Drew has a question here for us. He asked us, is this Stallone's best movie set in New York? Is it between that and the Lords of Flatbush? I think so. So then, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what other New well, York films does he have? Death Race 2000 starts in New York. Mm. Oh, man. I bet that gets your vote. <laughs> yeah. We're probably missing something obvious that, you know. Sure we are. Uh, Drew, sure. help us out if there's yeah. other ones that you had in mind. What about Copland? I mean, that's. Oh, yeah. That was New Jersey. Is New Jersey. De Niro's character works in Manhattan. All the guys that live in New Jersey work in Manhattan. They're oh, all New York okay. cops. He did bring up Copland, Daylight. Oh, Daylight. I, Copland, I would rank above Nighthawks just because mm-hmm. Copland has a better script. Mm-hmm. In some ways, did Rambo and Rocky wreck Stallone's career? His changed. acting range, I should say? Yeah, it changed his career. You know, I mean, there's a, an alternate universe somewhere where, you know, Rocky Three didn't get made for whatever reason. And that's where all those movies you want to see are, Ryan. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to say that two of the most famous franchise characters ever put to screen wrecked the guys no i'm sorry I, I meant to say pigeonhole i hate the term pigeonhole because it's, it's a curse it, it and a changed, blessing it changed the path it changed mm-hmm. the path he was on think about your favorite artist your favorite musical artist same idea they produce or make an album that they almost are beholden to that style it's like crap i have a lot more in my repertoire but people don't want to see it i got famous mm-hmm. off of this type of music or this album and here i am that's why this project is so interesting to me because I've never seen these early movies before he became that Rocky Three Sylvester Stallone that we came to be. These early movies are, I'm having a lot of fun. I am too. This is you know, a lot of fun to watch. Them. Yeah, we've done a few, yeah. like, first time viewings have been Lords of Flatbush yeah. uh, for me, uh, Death Race mm-hmm. 2000, mm-hmm. and Nighthawks. Yeah, these early ones, I just, just because there's no streaming service growing up, I'd have to get it from Blockbuster. I just never did, you know. I never caught mm-hmm. these on cable. So it's yeah, Nighthawks isn't the one you're grabbing for the weekend, committing yourself to. Right, that guy never got back to me. That's John Finkel, but he wrote a piece on this. He did. On how, how this could have been. He did get back to me? It's, it's in our Twitter. He responded with the link. Oh, 
I found a dead link. I looked on Google and, and I found it, but the link was dead. No, he gave us a live one. I, I checked it, but I told him oh, I wasn't, yeah, wasn't going to read it till it after was, our review because I didn't want to steal it, from it. Oh, okay. It was supposed to be published in a, a magazine that recently shut down called Rebeller. Yeah. So a month or two ago, there was actually like some Me Too related stuff, I think, went on with the way they were running their company or something. So uh, unfortunately, his article got lost in the shuffle. It's been published on his blog from what I remember seeing on Twitter. I haven't read it yet either because I want the stupid shit I say to be. Not to say that whatever he wrote is stupid. I want to give a shout out to our friends of the podcast. The Arms Race podcast, they're friends of the show. I listened to their breakdowns of the films that we've covered after we've recorded. And we hit a lot of the same beats. Well, obviously, we're talking about the same movie. They've done Nighthawks as well. So I'm looking forward to, to watching that. And I know they listen to these Stolen Podcast Network episodes. I want to give them a shout out and thank for their support on that. Sweet. Um, so, guys, that's uh, Nighthawks. I want to say it would cost $5 million to make and it made $20 million in the theater. So mm-hmm. even at this time with Stallone's career, he wasn't... Still draw. It wasn't rocky. It wasn't drawing. But you know what? I would take that return on my investment any day of the week. Fifty to twenty or five to twenty. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, for I mean, that budget. Yeah, yeah it, was, it wasn't a bomb. I mean, twenty million in nineteen eighty one is probably I don't a hundred probably. So today's money cost twenty million to make made a hundred million. That's a good turnaround. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I do want to talk about the other movies that we had on our slate. So Nighthawks won against Rhinestone and my pick, which was Animal yeah. Crackers. Is that the name <laughs> of it, Doug? Yeah. Why, why did you pick that? Because I always pick the movie that loses. <laughs> so, you can't do it on purpose. That's become your thing. That's Craig's so, thing. So my strategy moving forward is, is I'm going to offer up a movie that's got no shot of winning. So you're the Ross so, Pro. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to get excited. And you know what? If by some miracle Animal Crackers gets picked, we're going to have an awesome episode. Well, yeah. So behind the scenes stuff for our listeners, we uh, we all we all do our independent pick to put it for the poll on Twitter and Facebook. And Nighthawks won just barely over Rhinestone on both Facebook and Twitter combined. Rhinestone was the original one that came up, and that was Doug's choice. And mine was Nighthawks because I hadn't seen it. So uh, selfishly, I wanted it to win because I wanted to watch it. We knew that Rhinestone was a juggernaut because I think a lot of people want us to break down Rhinestone because of the things that it is. So we had to put up a film that was going to challenge Rhinestone. So Nighthawks was that film. And I'm I'm surprised it won, actually. It was tight. I'm not, actually, because, again, I think Nighthawks is... Outside of the Rocky and Rambo movies, I'd say it's probably held third or fourth in terms of how high of a regard Stallone fans rank it. Yeah, it is well, highly I was going to ask you guys, like, you know, we had some problems with the story or whatever, but overall, like, what was your feelings of it? I did watch with the idea of it was filmed in 1981. There's some filming techniques that I would have done differently. doesn't mean it's better. But there was some of that guerrilla-style filming that was kind of cool to see. Some of the scenes in New York, it looked like the Beirut blast had went through mm-hmm. this. I can't believe that city looked the way it did. It To me, that was the most shocking thing was it's a time capsule of what New York used to look like. It was slums and dirty and gross. And I, I don't know if it's still like that in a lot of areas. I was legitimately surprised what it looked like in 1980. It looked like an atomic blast that went off. And I know we didn't touch too much on that. So it was kind of cool to see that history of film. 
and to see what places looked like back then. It was cool to see Stallone being kind of cool, the beard, the glasses. His acting was really great in it. Uh, his chemistry with Billy D was fun. I think just with a more competent director and a more tightly edited uh, film, we could have had a, a real classic, like gritty kind of classic. I felt like at times I didn't know what kind of movie it was supposed to be. There was a comedy buzzer hand moments, and then there was people getting their throats slit. I think it needed to find a tone to match what, what it could have been. I really did enjoy it. This hasn't been a funny episode, so to speak, because there wasn't a lot to make fun of. It was actually just, it was an enjoyable, an enjoyable watch. This movie is held in the regard that it's held because of its potential, than its yeah. execution. I enjoy watching movies from this period of Stallone's career. It's before he became that superstar action hero juggernauts. Getting to mm-hmm. see him work as part of an ensemble is always a treat. This movie is remembered more for the potential it had than what it actually delivered. I enjoyed the movie as a whole. I love seeing Stallone in this role. I love, Ryan, I'm with you, man. I love those old gritty New York films when it shows New York as just a hellscape that it used to be back then. The city's dark. Most of the stuff we see is at nighttime. That really lends itself to the feel of New York at the time. We didn't talk enough about Billy D. Williams. He was fantastic in this. And their chemistry together, like you said, Ryan, was great. And I probably would agree with uh, Finkel guy, John Finkel, that it might have been a good buddy cops. It could have been Lethal Weapon before Lethal Weapon. It really could have been something. I don't know what beats were missed that prevented it from being the movie that it should have been. Even what we got, I enjoyed. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, that is it. I th- as always, it's a pleasure to, to talk with you guys. I know um, uh, we got one review that came in on the feed because we share the feed now. So a couple of the iTunes f- reviews that come in now talk about us as podcasts. And- yeah. And guys, I, this is a point where you guys need to start contributing to that feed. <laughs> I'm tired of carrying the entire weight of this. Your this back hurts from carrying us. So this is a kind of a funny. This is a four star review. <laughs> this guy. Four I want stars. Four stars. The uh, title is, it ends with an exclamation point, so it's good. It says, some great content. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. He says, I love the roundtable discussion. So he'll like this episode. I think he likes it when we get together. So he's obviously listening to the feed. He goes, I love the roundtable discussions and Rocky Minutes are cool. Oh, nice. However, he says. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they just sort of sp- <laughs> He goes, the Rocky Minutes are cool, but they just sort of spam up the feed and make make it difficult to find more meaningful content. Meaningful. (laughs) (laughs) He's having a hard time finding my show. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Anyways, I thought that was... He likes the round tables. So let let me just explain for our listeners who are on the iTunes feed, because I think it's the iTunes one that's maybe the most confusing, because every other pod chaser or pod collector just does sequential order of like when you release an episode comes out when it comes out whereas itunes if you put down a certain season number it will be that season and then you know the number but other feeds don't do that okay we have again we have three podcasts on one feed so they're all labeled as such rocky minute and they have lots of episodes coming out because we're trying to get like we are spamming it but what we're doing is we're trying to get them all out as quick as we can so doug can start rolling out rocky minute season three which is rocky three craig has a slide 
diecast and it's labeled as such and then mine is going the distance and we're covering the Creed films now. So we appreciate your patience while we catch up to what will eventually be in a few months time, let's say three to five months time, it'll eventually be a steady, easy to understand rotation of where Rocky Minute will basically be Monday to Friday in that block, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Going the distance will be Saturdays and Craig will have the Sunday block for his show whenever that comes up. I appreciate people's patience. That's eventually how it's going to be. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Rocky Minute, Saturday, going the distance, Sunday, Slycast. I think it's great. I think most people kind of understand that most people who listen to one listen to all of them. I, there's very few people mm-hmm. like, screw going the distance, I'm only listening to Slycast, which I understand that people do that, and that's fine. I think that from most of the feedback we've been given, everyone's enjoying everything on one feed. Yeah. I do want to take a minute to thank this gentleman for their review because Absolutely. as podcasters, reviews are so, 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 so hard to get. So you either um, need somebody to really hate your show or really love your show, it seems, to get a, a review. That's and um, the fact that this guy took him, uh, you know, some time out of his day to go to whatever site he went to, iTunes, I think, and write up a review and hit submit. I do a bunch of other shows that nobody listens to where you get no response, you get no reviews, and you really have no idea whether or not people are enjoying or your show or not. So uh, it seems like we get a lot of traffic or at least a lot of reviews generated. And I think that speaks to the yeah. content. It, do, it does yeah. help. You just took the time. That does help. We appreciate it. I want to thank the guy for kind words about Rocky Minute being pretty cool. Any positive feedback is good for me. I understand that it does seem like you're getting a, a big dose of Rocky Minute at once. Like Ryan said, it's not going to be forever. It's just maybe getting some new listeners. And, you know, the listeners might check out an episode here and there and, and not listen to the entire run. I mean, taking on an entire movie, doing one episode for one minute of screen time is quite the endeavor. Thank you for being patient. And uh, we got much better things ahead. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for everyone that joined us in the chat. Uh, Drew, especially. Thank you. We we're hoping the next time we do this, we're going to do it again. So if you're listening to this on the audio feed, you're like, oh, crap, they actually did a live episode. Yes, we did. It was short notice because we didn't know if it was going to work or not, but it worked. No hiccups. Amazing. So join us in a month's time. We're going to try to do this once a month. So this audio feed will come out at the beginning of September and then so forth and so forth. So we kind of record in the middle of the previous month to have it come out the first of the month on our feed. Thank you, Ryan. As always, you did an excellent job sort of steering the ship. Thanks, yeah, guys. You guys know how I, how I love getting together with you guys and, and chatting it up. So this is just easy peasy for me. All right, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for watching. And you, th- you two don't hang out. Yeah.